In the valley of Moab, there was a nation in mourning. And no matter how long they had anticipated it, well, it was impossible to feel prepared when the time finally came. It was a memorial service like no other. Thousands of people at a time created a giant dust cloud as they journeyed through the valley and on into the plain. See, it was the only place where such a large crowd could gather and still get a view of the priests up front who would offer their prayers and their blessings as the people filed by. Swell sun and the salty breeze coming off of the Dead Sea made their shirts stick to their back. The mood was heavy. Emotions ran high as they paid their final respects to one of the greatest leaders the world would ever know. It was a memorial service that lasted for 30 days. 30 days of mourning and storytelling. Oh, do you remember the time when he did that? Oh, do you remember the time when he threw his staff to the ground and it would turn into a snake and then he would grab it by the tail and it would turn back into a staff? You remember the time when he slammed that same staff onto the giant rock when we were thirsty there in the desert, and then all of a sudden a spring of water came gushing out of it. Ooh, do you remember the time when he took his arms and he held them high above his head while our, while our troops were battling, and as long as he held them up there, our troops would remain victorious. They had just lost Moses. And they now faced an uncertain future. From where they stood, they were able to see across the Jordan River into their promised land. And they now wondered how they would ever make it there now. And over these 30 days, well, the mantle of leadership would be passed from Moses on to his servant Joshua. And in the first chapter of the book of Joshua, well, the only thing that he was certain of was that this was going to be a tough act to follow. Oh, he knew he was no Moses. And can you imagine the insecurities that must have been welling up in his mind as an entire nation awaits for his leadership. They're wondering what kind of leader he's going to be. What kind of miracles he's going to pull off. What kind of signs he's going to give them that God has his back to. Oh, I think Joshua definitely wondered, okay, God, so what do I get? Where's my staff? What kind of miraculous signs will you give me? And, God's an and God answers him in that first chapter of Joshua by saying, Joshua, 
you're going to need to be really strong and courageous. <laughs> May not have been quite the response he was hoping for in a situation like this. <laughs> no tricks, no gadgets, no miracles. Just, I'll be with you. So be really strong and courageous. Now understand the gravity of the situation they faced. Picture the scene. Not only had they lost their great leader, but the Israelites were now standing in just about the same place that they had been before. It had been 40 years earlier that they stood on this bank of the Jordan River. And they considered then entering in to that promised land that God had instructed them to. But before crossing, you may know the story, Moses, he, he chose 12 men and sent them out as spies into the land. They came back with reports. The story is found in Numbers chapter 13. Ten of those 12 came back and said, what God's promised is indeed incredible. But the risk is just too high. You see, there are giants in the land, they said. There's fortified walls around their cities. They've got massive armies. And the other two spies said, yeah, and we should go anyway. God's promised it. We should do it. Those two guys were Caleb and, of course, Joshua. And back then, the people, well, they opted instead to stick to the conventional wisdom, to sort of play it safe, to stay on their side of the Jordan. And the result was another 40 years of wandering in the desert. And in that span of time, as God waited for an entire generation of people to die out, well, they had to have wondered, what would our lives have been like if we had only had the courage to go where God was leading us? You ever maybe come to the place in your life where you are tired of the wandering? Or maybe you're tired of the desert feeling. With a beginning of a new year, maybe you have hopes of a much better one. Or maybe just like the Israelites, you've even come to the place before where you've badly wanted to, to follow God with your life. Or maybe in an area of life. But you thought his way is just so unconventional at the time. And so you opted for a different way. And now it's only brought you back to the exact same place where you were before. At sort of this crossroads. Where you're hoping for something more or something better. When the Israelites in the book of Joshua under his leadership, well, they're going to get the equivalent of a do-over, which I always think is a great theme for the beginning of a new year. 
because we can all inevitably look back on a past year and wonder, where did I miss God? Or where did he want to lead me, but maybe I lacked the courage to follow? Maybe it's even where did I clearly receive God's instruction and I just just chose not to obey it. As this morning you're here and maybe we would stock of our spiritual lives, hope for an even greater year or a better future, the foremost question that we really ought to be considering is this, how can I have the courage to be obedient to wherever God takes me or whatever he asks of me? And I think that here in the book of Joshua, I love it so much because I think that in the first few chapters, it gives us a great little recipe for the kind of courageous obedience that's necessary in following God. So if you got your Bibles open, we'll begin in verse 1, chapter 3. It says, early the next morning, Joshua and all the Israelites left Acacia Grove and arrived at the banks of the Jordan River, where they camped before crossing. Three days later, the Israelite officers went through the camp, giving these instructions to the people. When you see the Levitical priests carrying the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord your God, move out from your positions and follow them. Since you've never traveled this way before, they will guide you. Stay about a half mile behind them, keeping a clear distance between you and the ark, and make sure you don't come any closer. These were the instructions that Joshua had given the people that had come from God. And here's the simple starting point for obedience. Number one, be led. You know, the instructions that God gave them concerning the distance that they were to keep from the ark was actually pretty unique. They had, of course, been instructed to take the ark very seriously and revere it as holy because it represented God's presence among them. But up until this point, well, it had always just been part of the caravan, something that they would take along with them. But now that they're in the unfamiliar territory and God's taking them to better places, he says, put me out front. Let me lead. You follow. But (laughs) at a distance. It's as if he's saying, follow me, but don't push me. Because isn't that's so often our tendency. Rather than really seek God or be led by him, well, we'll sometimes try to do the leading. And we'll merely hope that he chooses to bless what we've already made up our minds to do. When the Israelites were in this place 40 years earlier. You know, they had tried to get pushy with God too. 
after the spies had come back and they had given that report. And the people decided that they wouldn't follow God into the land after all. Well, God then expressed to them his displeasure. And he forecasted their future. More desert. More wandering. More manna. Oh! All the things they had grown sick and tired of in their lives. And so in Numbers chapter 14, it says that a large group of them tried to redeem themselves and force God to bless what they had already made up their minds to do. You see, they would go ahead and they would cross the river anyways and try to conquer the land and hope that God would then be coerced into action. But while these people, it says, pushed on ahead of God over the river, it says that God and his ark <laughs> remained right there in the camp. And they were crushed as a result of not having God at their side. You know, whenever we get out of the position of following God, chaos just tends to ensue in our lives. Years ago, when I was leading a youth ministry, we had assembled this youth band that would play at our, uh, at our youth services. And it was comprised of a couple of adults that would normally play the keyboard and then guitar, and then there were also students involved. And they would fill in on the other instruments, and many times they would sing. And the only instrument that we really struggled to fill normally were the drums, the drums were just difficult to find. And so often they were filled in by a student who was still in the process of learning. Now, if you have ever played an instrument before or maybe you have been in a band before, well, you know how important that drummer can be. See, they control the pace of the song. And in this youth band, if the student drummer's rhythm was too slow, well, I always thought it to be kind of a cool, growing moment. Because you could see our adult leader on the guitar just suddenly shoot a glance back to the drummer. And then he would show him the guitar, and he would do this, to try to get him, you know, he would, he would let him see the strums, right? Just sort of willing him along to try to keep pace with them. I always thought it was a fun sort of growing moment to watch. What was even more fun, however, was when the drummer's pace would become way too fast. And the student would often start the song out at the right pace. But in their excitement, well, they would steadily and unknowingly begin to speed that song way up. And whenever that happened, oh, that was a freight train that couldn't be stopped. <laughs> the band members would just begin to look around frantically at one another, just panic all over their faces because they knew that drummer had gotten way out ahead of them. And you could say that they were no longer in concert 
with one another. And as we develop in our relationship with God, you know, one of our big life goals really ought to be to become more in concert with him. Becoming more and more in tune with his It's why, and we'll say this really all the time, but it's why regularly or even daily reading God's word is so important in the life of a Christian. It's difficult to really tune in to the things that God wants to do or to be in concert with him, you could say, if we aren't regularly hearing from him. And sometimes that can happen a little bit through prayer, which is great. But God has and will continue first and foremost to speak through his word. It's why he's given it to us. And so I would venture to guess that for some, that could be the greatest habit you develop over this next year. Because it will be the greatest impact upon your life. Even if it is just reading for like five or maybe ten minutes reading the Bible a day. Because when we've been in God's word, it forces us to filter everything that we encounter, maybe all the decisions that we have to make through the lens of his instruction and his wisdom. I actually think that it's another one of the reasons why God would tell his people to put his ark way out in front of them. So no matter what they may have encountered, that he would always remain in view. See, if you, if you take a big shiny box and you set it in the middle of, you know, like say a million people as there were, well, it's bound to get overlooked by many. But not when it's way out in front without anything to obstruct its view. It was to remain their focal point. A reminder that God was always to stay at the forefront of their minds and their hearts. And so they were led. The next step that Joshua gives the people is to consecrate yourselves, he says. Now he says this in the NIV version, so I'll read from it. In verse 5, Joshua told the people... Consecrate yourselves for tomorrow. The Lord will do amazing things among you. Now, consecrate isn't really a word that we uh, use too often in our day. But yet I would propose that its meaning can have a powerful effect on our lives. To consecrate something means to dedicate it Towards a specific purpose. And if we were to even take it out of like say the the spiritual sense for a moment. We're actually all accustomed to consecrated things. Take for example this young couple. Who had been having some difficulties early on in their marriage. They were very much in love. But very different people. 
It had been sort of an opposites attract kind of relationship. And so whenever they would have arguments, well, they discovered that they fought differently. The husband, well, he would become very vocal. And he always wanted to argue it out with words to see who would stand victorious at the end. And his wife never really participated. She would just listen, remain totally calm. She never really gave much of a rebuttal. Well, this really frustrated the husband. So he finally had a talk with his wife. And he said, when we get into an argument, why don't you show any kind of emotion like you even care? She said, well, I guess I have my own way of dealing with my feelings whenever I'm upset with you. See, I like to keep busy. I like to channel my frustration into something that's actually productive. So she said, when we have one of our arguments, I normally go and I immediately clean something in the house. It's normally tends to be all the toilets. He said, that is so weird. Why the toilets? She said, well, that just happens to be the most productive use I can find for your toothbrush. And we all find that very amusing because we all intuitively know that the toothbrush should be a consecrated thing. It is solely dedicated towards one purpose. And here in Joshua, in our story, well, he tells the people to consecrate themselves for the sole purpose of following and serving God. He was to be their main focus and priority because, you know, I would imagine that upon entering the land, well, they probably had a lot on their minds, worries about the so-called giants in the land, thoughts, concerns over maybe how they'd provide for their families, maybe even dreams of what they might make of their life with this fresh start. Oh, they would have had no lack of dreams and concerns to be consumed by. And so if they wouldn't establish what or who would be their main priority upon entering the land, well, their attention, their focus would likely become divided in many different areas. And the same could be said of us today. Because there's always going to be more demand on our time and attention than we actually have to give. And so if we won't establish our main priority in life, well, we will normally find that others or maybe something will establish that priority for us. Have you found that? I really believe this, that the secret to life is a consecrated life. In fact, Jesus sort of speaks of this a little bit in Matthew. Chapter 6, he would bring up this idea. There he speaks of all sorts of things that will demand our attention and our focus, things that we may become consumed by. 
many of those things that are going to cause us a lot of worry. And he says then of all of those things in Matthew 6, verse 33, he says, seek the kingdom of God above all else. Live righteously and he'll give you everything you need. In our culture of self-help books and gurus and get-rich-quick schemes. The consecrated life is really the secret to life. Because if we will make God our main focus and our priority, well, we will find then that everything else seems to fall into place. Now, that is not any sort of promise of Riches or success necessarily. In fact, it's even better than that. It's a promise of joy, contentment, and fulfillment. And as we sort of, you could say, enter into this new territory, we begin this new year of 2019, maybe it's time for us to do some decluttering. And rather than divide our attention among many different pursuits, instead to really consecrate ourselves to the one pursuit of God. In fact, I was looking this over, and I really believe that you can do this with Joshua uh, chapter 3, verse 5, that one little verse in there. If you wanted to personalize it, which I, I did on the screen here, I really believe that you can do that by saying, I will consecrate myself to God this year and see what amazing things he will do. And when it comes to courageous obedience, it will mean many times that we will also, number three, have to take the first step. In verse 8 there, Joshua chapter 3, God says this to Joshua. He says, tell the priests who carry the Ark of the Covenant that when you reach the edge of the Jordan's waters, go and stand in the river. And then in verse 14, it says, so when the people broke camp to cross the Jordan, the priests carrying the Ark of the Covenant went ahead of them. Now the Jordan is at flood stage all during the harvest. Yet as soon as the priests who carried the ark reached the, jo the Jordan and their feet touched the water's edge, the water from upstream stopped flowing. It piled up in a heap a great distance away at a town called Adam in the vicinity of Zarathan, while the water flowing down to the Sea of Arabah, that is the Dead Sea, was completely cut off. And so the people crossed over opposite Jericho. And the priests who carried the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord stopped in the middle of the Jordan. And they stood on dry ground while all Israel passed by until the whole nation had completed the crossing on dry ground. Now, that should sound a bit familiar because Israel's had a similar experience before. Only that time, it was with Moses. And it was at the Red Sea. 
And the, the waters were miraculously parted when Moses waved that giant staff over them. And it was proof to God's people that he could be trusted to follow. But this time, on the banks of the Jordan River, there was a distinct difference. Did you notice that this time around, God required just a little bit more of them? Because this time, he asked them to take the first step. This time without any sign of the water receding. The priests were to carry the Ark of the Covenant down to the river and wade in. Which, it's important to note, that that was no easy or safe task. Because we're given that important little detail in there. That the Jordan was at flood stage. In fact, it would have been thought impossible to cross at that time. Certainly not safe to be near. And listen, here is just a quick tip. If you happen to be near a raging, flooded river that could carry you away with its current, it is not a good idea to go find the heaviest object you can find and hoist it up on your shoulders, and wade into the water with it. Not exactly practicing river safety right there. But God asked them to take this step because, well, it was their next step in their spiritual growth. And I think that a lot of times our next steps may look a little similar. He may ask us to do the same where he's shown that we can trust him and he's just waiting for us then to take a step of faith. See, whenever God moves first, it's great because it helps us in our belief of him. He in some way makes himself evident and we love that. But if we're always counting on him to make the first move before we will take any kind of step of faith, then our trust in him is never really allowed to grow. Because it isn't normally until we step out in faith, until we become forced to really depend on him. And so taking that first step requires us then to grow just a little bit more in trust each time. A lot of times I will uh, think of our spiritual growth just as I remember teaching my kids to ride a bike. When they, were, when they had those training wheels on, they knew that I was there, but they had little need for me. They felt safe and sturdy. But once they were ready to take the next step in their bike riding and get those little extra wheels off, well, then they couldn't go without me. And they begged me to not let go. 
And we went through the same grueling process that most of you have probably gone through. There were some skinned hands and knees. A lot of close calls with parked cars. And you know the drill. I would, I would position myself right behind them. And I would hang on to their seat. And really, all they did was they essentially just, you know, would pedal just a little bit. Not even much. Just a little bit. And me behind them, I'd kind of push them forward. And I'd keep them up. And I'd keep them balanced. And you would think, maybe, that, you know, I might get frustrated that I'm back there having to do all the work. But, of course, the dad gene kicks in, you know. And so I, I would begin praising them for really any amount of effort that they would put forth. In fact, I would even say, as I'm running alongside, holding them up, you're doing it, you're doing it. Even though they were not doing it. I was just saying that because, well, I knew what they would be capable of. And I think that God, our Father, sometimes acts in just the same way, sometimes asking us to do things that we're not really sure we can do. But he asks us to take that step because he knows what we will be capable of when we grow more dependent on him. And he may even reassure us in our spirit, you're doing it, you're doing it, even when he's probably still doing most of the work. And as we teach our kids to ride their bikes, you know, at some point, we normally enter into this gray area of truth-telling. You know what I'm talking about? Where we feel like they might be ready. They've started pedaling a little faster. They're picking up speed. But yet they're just, just as wobbly. And so they begin begging you. They, ple- they would plead with me. Don't let go, Daddy. Don't let go. And so I'm running alongside of them. And I'm saying... I won't let go. I won't let go, even as I'm letting go. (laughs) It's that little gray area of truth-telling that we all enter into. But we do that as parents because we understand that to not let go at all is really going to hold them back in their development. And we don't normally say this to our kids because we only want to just continue reassuring them. But you know what? What we really want in that moment is just for them to trust us. Because you know what? I may have let go just a little bit, but I'm still running alongside them. And I have still got my hand right there right next, ready to catch them as soon as it's needed. And just as in the book of Joshua, 
God told Joshua that he could be strong and courageous because he would be with him. Well, so too in our own lives, we can be strong and courageous because God is there to balance us whenever we get wobbly. But many times, that process of spiritual growth and learning to trust him more and more, well, it takes that first step or that next step of faith. And then lastly, in this recipe of obedience, I found four steps in there. And the last one is build altars. Uh, which I happen to love the idea of this. It's found in the next chapter, in Joshua, chapter 4, verse 1. After the story is kind of concluded and wrapping up, in verse 1, it says, When all the people had crossed the Jordan, the Lord said to Joshua, Now choose twelve men, one from each tribe, and tell them, Take 12 stones from the very place where the priests are standing in the middle of the Jordan and carry them out and pile them up at the place where you will camp tonight. And so Joshua then tells them to do this in verse 6. He says, we will use these stones to build a memorial or an altar. And in the future, your children will ask you, what do these stones mean? And then You can tell them. They remind us that the Jordan River stopped flowing when the Ark of the Lord's Covenant went across. And these stones will stand as a memorial among the people of Israel forever. God seems to understand our natural tendency to forget these things that we should remember. It's why so many times throughout the Old Testament we see God or we hear of him telling his people to build an altar or to maybe have some sort of feast or to maybe set aside a day all for the purpose of being reminded of God's goodness. In fact, the very idea of the altar being sort of this reminder actually goes way back to the Ten Commandments. After God had given them those Ten Commandments, those instructions, he then says in Exodus 20, 24, to sort of wrap it all up, he says, build altars in the places where I remind you who I am, and I will come and bless you there. I love that verse. And I wonder if as Christians we ever sort of begin to feel spiritually lost. Or maybe it's that we sometimes lack the courage to be obedient to God simply because we haven't created a lot of altars in our life to be reminded of what God has done, how much he has already been faithful to us in life. When God does amazing things, in our lives, many times we just assume that we're always going to think of, or we're always going to feel about that moment, do in the moment. Oh, but you know how it is. A month, two months, a year goes by, and the moment's passed. 
and we forget not only the great things that God has done, but even the amount of trust that we had of God in that moment. The worship team can come up and we'll conclude with this. You know, there were enough God moments and altars built into the the life of the Israelites that they would have been reminded oftentimes each time that they would sort of pass by of God's faithfulness. That their obedience to him, although risky at times, was always worth the risk because he could be trusted. And wouldn't it be cool if this next year we really focused on building altars whenever it is that we would experience God doing something in our lives, whatever that may look like. I don't know that we're going to want little piles of rocks all over the place like they likely had, (laughs) but we might be able to find some other ways of commemorating those God moments in our lives. I know that a lot of people will do that by journaling, and you look back at what God has done and where he has brought you. Some people I know will keep a list, it's a prayer list, where they will cross off the prayers that they believe God has answered and maybe they would continue praying for the ones that aren't crossed off. Others might have uh, keep little objects that might remind them of an experience, whatever it might be. Ways in which to commemorate our God moments and in the New Testament the main altar that God instructs us to go back to time and time again is this altar of communion Jesus would tell us to do it often to be reminded it's one of the reasons why we do it here at Journey each week we take communion Because it serves as a great reminder of God's faithfulness. That he has provided us a savior. That he has given us a great hope and a great future. That we have new life through the forgiveness that Jesus has offered us through the sacrifice of his blood and his body. And that's what we remember as we take that little cracker and that little bit of juice. We remember the body and the blood that he sacrificed for us. That by believing in that sacrifice, we have forgiveness of our sins and new life in him. And we take the time to say, God, thank you for your faithfulness. This morning, as you hold those two elements in your hand, would you thank God for his faithfulness? And maybe you would think back here and then look forward to a new year. Take some time to reflect. And really think about maybe the way in which God is asking you to grow spiritually. The next step to take. And how you might be obedient to that in the year to come. 
Let me pray for you, and then you can go. I'll dismiss you. You can grab the elements, take them back to your seat. Would you just sort of pray on your own this morning? And then we'll wrap up with a song and a blessing. Lord, thank you, God, again, just for your faithfulness. And we remember that now through this altar that you have established of communion. We go back to it each and every week, Lord. To say thank you for your forgiveness. And thank you for the new life that you've given us. And Lord, at this time, we say thank you for the new year as well. And we pray, God, that as we, as many of us might make the decision here this morning to consecrate ourselves to you this year, oh, we pray that we would see you do amazing things in our life as a result. In your name.